Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeJoria, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, it's top fuel racer Krista Baldwin and pro-stock motorcycle racer Joey Gladstone. Eric Anders is your 2020 pro-stock world champion in stunning fashion. Two young and very driven competitors. Scotty's out on Andrew at 1,000 feet. It's Scotty Polachek for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. 28-10,000 to the strike. An instant classic final round. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is a race week episode as we are going to be heading for a back-to-back part of our season. We're going to Charlotte, North Carolina for the NGK four-wide nationals this weekend at ZMAX Dragway, and then we'll head on to Houston, Texas to race down there at Houston Raceway Park, powered by Pennzoil for the NHRA Spring Nationals, which last year took place in the fall, but this year is taking place in a bit of a later part of the spring than usual, but it promises to be great, and it is always fast down there at sea level in Houston. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves there, though. We're going to talk about this four-wide nationals race coming up with our two guests on this episode, Krista Baldwin, who will be attempting to make her second start in the world of NHRA top field drag racing. She's actually attempting to make her first. It'll be her second appearance as the team really raced hard down there in Gainesville, but the top fuel field proved to be a tough nut to crack. So we're going to talk about her weekend, her first weekend, in the seat of a top field dragster as a professional level racer. And we're going to talk to Joey Gladstone about his incredible story of coming back way, way, way far ahead of anybody's expectations after a testing crash that was uh, kind of, figured to sideline him for a couple of months he was down there at Atlanta Dragway and not only was he on a motorcycle he was as competitive as he has ever been I had a chance to talk to Joey in the pits a little bit after that uh, event on Sunday evening and we're going to go into some of that conversation as well as kind of his recovery and really what put him in a bad spot in the first place when we're talking about this NGK spark plugs four wide nationals we're talking about a great great weekend on tap and it is going to be a great weekend not just because of the weather not just because of the car count but because of the fact that we're going to have yes it is a limited crowd but it is one of the largest seating drag strips in the world and we're going to have better than 50 percent capacity the Saturday tickets are already sold out so you know the how much demand there is down there in the Charlotte area to get back into the world of NHRA camping world drag racing it's been some 83 weeks since we last competed at ZMAX Dragway certainly one of the sports great kind of halls of acceleration and it's going to be fun to watch the four wide action as it always is you know we had the Vegas race and there were some interesting things that happened over the course of that event as there always are at a four wide nationals event and it's going to be fun to kind of go back in time in our qualifying show and look at what happened in Vegas and then talk about what people are going to maybe do differently or try to apply themselves a little bit harder on when we get down there to Charlotte. I mentioned the car counts for this coming weekend, and they are strong. We have bump spots across the board in our professional categories. Full fields are always a fun thing, and certainly a lot of teams based in the Indiana region. It's not too bad a toe to get down there to Charlotte. And we even have Charlotte-based teams with the likes of Doug Foley, who will be competing in top fuel, attempting to qualify in that Doug Cook tune machine. It is going to be fast, as it always is at Charlotte. Tends to be a little bit tricky there when the temperature comes up. We're looking at days with very little cloud cover and temperatures in the high 70s, low 80s. So really perfect weather for spectating, perfect weather for watching. we got three shows to bring you this weekend on FS1, two qualifying shows, and then a Sunday elimination show, which will be following the NASCAR race. And there is kind of 
some secret stuff happening down there on Thursday afternoon that is going to be shown on our broadcast as well as on some other platforms involving a couple of the Toyota team drivers crossing over in the worlds of NASCAR and NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. A lot of fun stuff on tap. When we look at this stretch of the season, we're really going to start to see who can put the rubber to the road and maybe start to exert some dominance, if you will, on their particular classes and categories. When we look at the top fuel category, Steve Torrance came out of the gate, as he always does, very strongly. Antron Brown answered the call masterfully when we were down there at our last event in Atlanta, picking up that top fuel Wally and really maybe throwing a little bit of a wrinkle into the plans of the Torrance family. He's going to look to make this a season-long struggle, a season-long battle, as other teams are as well. The Nitro Funny Car category, obviously entertaining, obviously very fast and very fun. Racers like J.R. Todd, who has had great success in four-wide style drag racing, will look to continue that. And, of course, racers that uh, that have kind of turned the trick before, not only at Charlotte, but out there in Vegas, will look to stop him as well. And in Pro Stock, there's a bunch of stories going on, probably none bigger than Greg Anderson chasing what is now uh, a one-race deficit to Warren Johnson for the all-time leader, for wins in NHRA Pro Stock competition. He picked up his 96th, beating Vincent Nobile in the final round of Atlanta, and we will certainly watch to see if he can pick up 97 and tie WJ in Charlotte. He will be carrying the HendrickCars.com sponsorship on his Camaro as a remembrance of Ricky Hendrick. A lot of people don't know that Rick Hendrick, the NASCAR team owner, kind of motorsports magnate himself, began in drag racing as a teenager. That's where he got his feet wet in cars and in hot rodding. And, of course, life took him to the world of circle track stock car racing. But Rick Hendrick certainly has a soft spot in his heart for the history of drag racing and certainly for the NHRA Camping World Series. And as we continue to watch people like Tony Stewart evolve in their top fuel dreams, we'll find out if any more interest comes from the world of stock car racing from news like that. There is some rumors swirling that Stewart will be making more test runs on Monday after the Charlotte event. It tends to be a place where a lot of people will test for the day, and then they will load up and move on to the next one. When we have back-to-back races like this, the test opportunities tend to pop up. You're not going to send your whole team back to Indianapolis for a day or two before you tow to Texas, so teams will take advantage of Monday to make some test runs and then load up and head southeast to the eastern side of the great state of Texas to Houston. It is going to be spectacular. It's going to be fun, and as I mentioned, it is going to be well broadcast on FS1 all weekend long. Make sure you check NHRA.com for your local listings, but our elimination show, 6 p.m., following the NASCAR race on Sunday, will be great. Speaking of great, let's talk about our first great guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. She is a third-generation top fuel drag racer who made her first appearance at Gainesville in a top fuel dragster and will be back in Charlotte looking to qualify for the first time in her young career. Let's welcome Krista Baldwin onto the show for the first time. Krista, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Brian? Doing really well. And, uh, you know, I wanted to catch up with you this week because I wanted to kind of get your head. I wanted to kind of get in your head. You know, you made your first appearance in Gainesville. Obviously, that that was a tough nut to crack down there, a bunch of cars, and you put up a good fight in qualifying, came up a little short. So let's talk a little bit about kind of where your head's been at since leaving Gainesville and now preparing for Charlotte. I don't think I've ever come down from the Cloud9 experience. (laughs) that is happening still um i'm just super proud that i made it to gainesville i did it that was the first race had to get all the bugs out and we were having a little bit of a car issue down in uh gainesville so we fixed that and hopefully this weekend we'll be able to get it to the finish line be able to qualify for the race um 
I'm telling you, it, it's so fun what I get to do. And I sincerely cannot wait until I get to hit the gas on Friday night, especially Friday night, you know, header flames, nighttime. Oh, yeah, the best. It's going to be fun. <laughs> it's going to be totally fun. And, you know, this has been a very interesting journey for everybody that follows drag racing to watch kind of your progression through the ranks and through the years to get to this point. And I want to talk a little bit about the value of that experience and not so much the value of, you know, what did, what did it teach you to drive the car? I, w- I want to know the value of that experience in, in terms of when you're sitting in that car in Gainesville, everything that's led up to that moment. This isn't a situation where, and some people have the ability to do this, not a situation where you're, you're able to invest your way into this seat. You really did have to work for it. So I want to talk a little bit about that, the, the road to get there and how you got there and the time it took. What's the value in that? Let me tell you, it was a hustle. It, the, driving these cars, driving at the top level of NHRA championship drag racing is the hardest thing that you can do. Uh, obviously, these cars take more than good faith to run on, yeah. and they're very expensive um, in a very uh, work-centric. But, man, when I sat in that car, uh, making that turn onto uh, the racetrack from the staging lanes in Gainesville, I couldn't – like, I could believe that I was there – but I was so excited that everything that I've been dreaming of, everything that I've been leading up to, it's at this moment right now. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a great thing to watch. It's it's so, gosh, I you know, everyone asks, like, how is it driving in the car? I mean, it, it's so surreal. You can't even describe it. it. It's just, there's nothing than doing the burnout. And it, you hit the gas and it gets up on the tire and this huge motor behind you is making all this noise. And then to launch the car, oh, man. I mean, it <laughs> it's so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it is, uh, you know, it's something that I think is very interesting in, in, a, in the perspective of your family. As I mentioned, you're a third-generation racer now. And, and so often we've talked about drag racing being in its second generation. But you really represent kind of the vanguard of this third generation, your grandfather, your dad, and, and now you in these cars. And I think when I look around and I, and I look at how the sport has evolved in terms of its competitors and in terms of how people approach it, you really do represent kind of the modern angle of what a top fuel racer has to be. Your grandfather, you know, did it the old school way and, and that's how they did it back then where it was, you just, it was hard scrabble and it was, you figure out how to do it and you run the parts out of the junkyard. Your dad was a guy who, who people loved because he was like, he was like a regular dude who was out there living his dream. And you represent this, this kind of holistic approach of, the marketing side of things, the understanding and, and, and use of social media, and then, of course, having the will to and the ability to drive the car. So let's talk a little bit about that, because the world that you're racing in is so much different than even the world your dad or grandfather raced in. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, the thing about driving in this day and age is that we can take the experience of the racetrack and we're able to share it with millions of people all the way around the world. And so just to have the eyeballs on our car showing people we are literally driving 11,000 horsepower, ticking time bomb. Like we run it so hard to close to the edge that you have no clue what's going to happen. I mean, you hope you make it and it's a clean run, but once in a while it is not a clean run. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but to take that experience in that, the, the thrill of NHRA drag racing and be able to publish it to the world. I mean, it not only is it an extra pressure, you know, that you are 
competing at a world stage now, but you just got to show the world like, nah, this is what's fun. This is the cool part. Yes, there's other forms of motorsports and they all have their dedicated coolness to it, but NHRA drag racing is set apart and it messes with all of your senses. It does. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what you that's what we need to convey and we need to have people to come out to the racetrack to experience this once in a lifetime uh experience. In terms of, you know, that first weekend in Gainesville and you had mentally prepared yourself since I mean you're since you're old enough to walk, you had been mentally preparing yourself for that moment coming around the corner and getting ready to make that first qualifying attempt. What was it if anything, when you went home from that weekend, and not necessarily in the race car, but what was it, if anything, that maybe surprised you? What was it something that even in the visualization and even in the planning and even in the want to do this was something that maybe came at you a little different than you expected or something that happened you didn't expect? I think the biggest thing is uh, the second they start that car up and they put that canopy down on me, all of my fear went away. All of that built up you know mentality of okay I got to do a job I have to be perfect I have to get it to the finish line all of that went away and everything in that car came second nature it, it I was surprised in myself uh you know you, you take as as a yogi <laughs> breathing <laughs> is super important in our practice and so taking those breathing techniques and putting it in the race car um, I totally went to a different planet totally different i knew what i was doing i was there for a reason and everything felt perfect now that's that's really cool and and it's a completely different experience but for me in, in my job i guess my very first national event of nhra that i announced was the 2014 gator nationals and and again uh, i had no risk of uh going 300 miles an hour i was literally standing there looking out a window but to your point <laughs> everything I had thought in my head and built up and oh my god are you going to trip over your tongue and fall down the stairs like how bad is this going to be and then you flip the microphone on and it's like no actually wait a second this is actually kind of the way it's supposed to be I am supposed to be here that is a very profound moment yes yes and I'm, I'm that just that moment alone I mean that last would last me a lifetime and then to continue to go through the next two qualifying sessions and like I said, we were having some trouble with the car and to be able to experience the failure of a run rather than making a best run. I think that, you know, another feather in my cap, like, okay, now I know when the car feels like this to step off, or I know that the car feels like this. I need to slap it real quick and go down to the finish line. So I think I had a great first weekend, although I didn't qualify, that was the least of my problems. <laughs> yeah, and and you know it's it's um, there's value in all this as you mentioned, but I, I in my own heart and mind I feel like if I'm in your shoes, I want my first race that I'm in to be one that I had to work to get there. Like I want that first event, like this weekend, I want to qualify in an 18 car show. And not and it wouldn't mm-hmm. take anything away if there were 15 or 16 cars there, but the fact that you have to be better than other people to get in there and fight, I think that's a huge thing. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, this weekend's going to be tough. Uh, not only that, it's going to be quite a full field, but it's also going to be four wide. I've never run the four wide. A little nervous about it, but I've, uh, you know, working here at DSR, you run into the NHRA drivers all the time. And Antron Brown's pitted right next to Paul Lee, and Antron's giving me some advice. Paul's giving me advice. I mean, Grandpa, yes, he gives me advice, but he doesn't like the four wide, so he does not give me good <laughs> advice for that. But <laughs> um, just, you know, 
the uh, Clay Milliken was a huge part uh, last weekend in Atlanta. I sat down with him. I'm like, Clay, how do I do this? How do I stage the car with three other people on track? And he's like, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. <laughs> and so I, I'm super excited to take what I've learned the last few weeks about the four wide and to actually apply it to the situation. Yeah, and, and listen, I think in so many parts of life, uh, outside of drag racing certainly and inside of drag racing, like there is some benefit to not knowing what you don't know. You know, there is some benefit to, to, to going into this thing a little bit wide-eyed because you haven't been burned yet. You haven't seen, you know, you haven't personally experienced a mistake in the sense that you may be looser on the starting line than a lot of people will be. Mm-hmm, exactly. And But the, the biggest thing about the four-wide is you got to think about it. You have such a bigger chance of winning or going to the next round. Yeah. You only have to come in second. <laughs> yeah. That's all you got to do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I want to talk a little bit about um, kind of the evolution of your career and, and in terms of driving this car and in terms of competing in this car, you are a car owner. You own a fuel dragster. You, you competed in it for years. Um, does does the car owner side of Krista show up at any point over the course of a Gainesville weekend or thinking about things or considering things? Absolutely, it did. Uh, a lot of the time I would sit, uh, you know, we make a run, and then, of course, i go into the lounge and me and Grandpa talk about what happened on the run, kind of analyze what I could do better, what I did uh, my job in, and the thought of, you know, when we're having these engine issues, uh, a rear main seal was leaking. And so I asked Grandpa, you know, what should we do? How do we fix it? How do we replace it? How much it's going to be? Yep. Yep. <laughs> because that's the biggest thing is, yes, we can run mediocre stuff, but then you're only going to make a mediocre run. Yep. And so to take that mentality and, you know, the driving part is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it's the ownership part that's the toughest part. Uh, you just got to be mindful. And, of course, uh, on that last qualifying run, I should have uh, slapped the throttle and kept on going just to try and get into the show. But while sitting in the car, something wasn't right. I'm like, you know what? Nope, we're going to shut it off. I, I cannot blow up again. <laughs> yeah, and, and, that, and, and to me, it's like it's this weird part of drag racing in the sense of that those moments are when you actually understand whether somebody's driving that car or not. And, you know, when somebody is actually with the car and understanding what's going on versus the things hucking the rods out and the butterflies are still wide open. So, you know, it's it's a bizarre thing to, to credit somebody with the ability to take their foot off the gas. But in our sport, it really is a sign of someone who is in control and someone who isn't. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it hurts you that you don't oh, sure. you can't get back into the throttle. But then again, it's literally just me and my grandpa trying to do this and we, of course, we have some funding, but we don't have full funding, and we just have to preserve what we have to continue for the rest of the season. Yeah, and, you know, Tony's talked about it multiple times in different situations where, you know, if you do let your emotions overrun your, you know, if you let your emotions overrun your good sense, that's typically when bad things are going to happen. When you when you do something that, you know, the car's not, you're going to slap the throttle, but the car's not totally straight. We've all seen what happens there. Or mm -hmm. you're just gritting your teeth and got your foot down and the thing's blowing up behind you. It doesn't ultimately do you any good, but it is that ability to separate in that instant to go, oh, like I want to do it so bad, but I can't. It's, it's, a, it's a big level of self-control. 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about, you know, your mom's, your mom's a great woman has been obviously your biggest supporter throughout the course of your career. One of my favorite, I think, drag racing videos of all time was when you got licensed last year and she's at the <laughs> starting line and she's just screaming and wailing and, it, and it's, and it's perfect. Um, kind of what was her sense of the weekend? Because I'm sure it was doubly, maybe triply as emotional for her maybe than it was for you. Yes, absolutely. She was so stressed out, <laughs> way more stressed out than I was, but she loved it. I mean, it's so funny because whenever I drove the A-Fuel car, she always like had her phone out and she's trying to make the picture and get the video. And I told her, I'm like, mom, this weekend, I have people that are going to take pictures of me. I hired them for the weekend. You just enjoy the moment. <laughs> Put your phone away. <laughs> and she's like, okay. And she's, she's so funny. Uh, I'm getting dressed in the staging lanes and She's all, whenever I am fully dressed and I'm ready to walk back to the car, she's like, well, hold on. I need to have my hug. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But she she loves it. She loves the sport. She, this is her third uh, driver in the family. For Amazing. <laughs> so um, just the amount of support that she has for my grandpa, the amount of support that she had for my dad, I mean, uh, building their own top fuel car together, uh, having me as a little kid and everything she had to juggle and having a business at home. Uh, it just showed that she loves this sport and she loves standing behind us. And that's, that's the biggest thing. And she's like you said, she's my biggest supporter and she is all about what I can do in the car. Yeah. And, and I think it goes a step beyond that too, because we, we look at, we look at people who are out there doing this and, and we see different people playing different roles on a team or, or working with a driver or doing different stuff. Katie Butera is one of your great friends and she is uh, the mm -hmm. woman that that's backing you up out there. And what does that mean? I mean, and, and this is an interesting thing for me because I have never, nor do I have any inclination to ever get into top field drag. So that is, that is totally your guys deal. I'm more than happy to sit and watch. Um, but what does it mean when you, when you look out the front of the canopy and you see somebody that you know that is like your mom kind of living this experience all the way to their soul like you are backing you up the racetrack the coolest thing about doing this is the people that are behind me and katie is one of those people she's we've been friends for since children and you know she has that third generation uh absolutely type vibe as well and you know our grandpas are friends our moms are friends we are friends um it's so much fun. It's so cool doing it with my with my gang. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have Katie out there in front. Her boyfriend, Jake Sanders, is in the back helping me. Anthony DeSero is still out there with me and my mom and my stepdad. And, you know, it just it's so cool that, you know, not only my blood family, but also my friend's family is supporting me. And that's it's the best part of the whole the whole thing. Driving the car is great, but doing it with my friends and family you can't top it no you can't and that's um and i think that's another element of this story that people love so much is the fact that it is uh you know it is the 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 village, right? It's it's this whole kind of village of people that it takes to actually get one of these things down the racetrack, and and it and it looks and feels different than a corporately sponsored team, which I have certainly no qualms about. It is a just it is just so cool to see. You know, you listen to a lot of negative people. They say, "Well, this can't happen anymore." You know, and and it blows mm -hmm. my mind when I say, "No, it can." Like we have people out here doing it, and it's way harder than it used to be to some degree, of course, and it's way more expensive than it used to be. But to me. You and a very small group of others stand as a really great example for people, whether they're kids or whether they're guys who may want to try this someday, that it can be done. 
and it's a and it's a great thing for our sport. And you know, I, I'm kind of a heretic in this in this era of this area, but I really feel like I want 50 Krista Baldwin's at the racetrack more than I need 50 corporately sponsored cars. Absolutely. I mean, the the coolest thing is, uh, you know, growing up with my dad on his top fuel car, he was so adamant that okay, yes, we're out here, we're trying to do it, we're trying to do the thing. Okay, we might not have the best parts, but we're going to have fun. We're going to do this with friends and family. He always said, we're here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) This can go away any second. But until then, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it grandpa's way. We're going to have so much fun because that's the whole point is life is way too short to make it so corporate. At this point in my career, it's about to have fun. And of course, eventually in the future, yes, I would like the corporate sponsorship and all that. But, you know, I'm always going to have that fun factor. Yeah. And, <laughs> and listen, I think when we look at the people who have been ultimately successful in this sport, they've maintained it to some degree, you know, not to the not to the to the degree they had maybe when they first started going out there. But when I look at people who win in drag racing, when I look at people who are successful, who have built themselves a social following and who have done the right things, the, the bottom line is you look at that person, you go. This man, this woman loves being out here and they're enjoying every second of it. And that makes you want to root for them. It makes you want to cheer for them and follow them. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I have all of my friends are out here, all my family's out here, and it, it's fun to root on your friends. And it's fun to compete against your friends. And we're all having a good time. Uh, you know, even in Gainesville, uh, Doug Foley bumped me out at the last second. And me and Doug are good friends. And so, Sunday morning, I leaned into his car. I'm like, oh, thanks for bumping me out, bro. And he's like, I didn't mean to. <laughs> he's like, I didn't want to bump you out. <laughs> Cost of like, doing business. Okay. Yeah. So, so one last question before I let you go, because I know you guys are deep in preparations, getting ready to go down to Charlotte. How much of your evolution through sportsman racing and then the A-Fuel car and now to this point, how much of that kind of influenced your grandfather's decision to say, okay, you're ready to do this now. How much of that was important to him to see you, not that I'm sure he never doubted your commitment, but to see you chip your way through, to chip your way up the ranks, how much of that was important to him? I think the important part was, uh, you know, first car I drove was a front engine dragster, seven seconds, 180 miles an hour. Did that during the summer, uh, right after I graduated high school, and then I moved into the A-field ranks a couple of years later after college. And so... I think for him to watch me struggle, you know, trials and tribulations of trying to run, yep. run an E-field dragster, uh, you know, me and Anthony Nusero, we gave it our all. <laughs> Every race we sure. gave it our all. And sometimes it didn't work. Sometimes he was on it. Sometimes I wasn't on it. And it just, I think after a few years of doing the A-field car and making, you know, some rookie mistakes, but minimal mistakes I think he finally saw like okay she is ready for the next step she is ready to do this uh he's so funny because he's like man you're just like your dad that's awesome (laughs) that's the highest compliment you can get yeah and that that's the coolest part and you know of course my dad drove for my grandpa for a few years as well so it, it the second I got into the top field car it was so full circle and it, it, it was so much fun uh, to run the car with my grandpa's name on it. Mine small on the on the window is just how my dad did it. And so just to do that process with him and to be able to do it with my grandpa, I mean, 
I can't change it. No, it I wouldn't. I would no. not change it. Yeah, I don't think. I don't think there's a chapter in this book that needs a rewrite <laughs> or any no. editing for sure. <laughs> and uh, just something I want to note, so so people can go find it. Uh, PRI, the performance uh, performance racing industry. Um, group did a, an incredible video with your grandfather at his shop in uh, in the Chicago area, and to me, it's like this great service they did for all of us that love drag racing and the history of the sport. Because you know, your grandfather's a man of few words. He's not he's not a guy that's uh, that's going to sit there and 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 typically give his time in the way he did. So um, I encourage everybody to go find that, and I'm sure it's a great thing also for you to have for the obviously the family connection, but just for this man to be recognized for who he is and, and what he has done and the contributions he made to this sport, it was a very special thing to watch. Oh, yes. They did a phenomenal job capturing what happens at the shop. And, you know, everyone asks me, well, what's your grandpa's shop like? I'm like, it's nothing like you think. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's not like a, a modern top fuel shop. It's, you know, something he's had since the 50s. He's been at the shop. And so just for PRI to go in and take a peek of what he does, I mean, you got to know, he every day he goes to the shop and he is working on something. Either it's the motor for our car, it's a motor for a boat for a friend, something. He is always doing something. And I think that's what keeps him going is the sport and to continue to build things. And he's a builder. And that's that's just his genetic makeup no it absolutely is and if, if you ever have any doubt any of you listening how cool this guy is the fact that he rolls up in there in the jag like the jag that looks like it is brand new is the best part of the whole thing it's the coolest part of the whole video oh yes he 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 definitely has that swagger to him definitely well krista thanks so much for taking some time today i wish you all the luck this weekend and uh cracking the field down at the four wide nationals and certainly experiencing um what we were all going to experience which is uh, always kind of a a wild four wide experience down there so uh thanks again krista i certainly appreciate the time and congratulations on achieving uh on achieving this first this first plateau in your top field career and i'm sure there's more to come absolutely thank you and i'll see you this weekend yes you will the enthusiasm, the will, the passion, and certainly the love for NHRA Camping World Drag Racing shining through in that conversation with Krista Baldwin. Now we transition to our second guest, NHRA Pro Stock motorcycle rider Joey Gladstone, who made what some would call a miraculous recovery to come back and ride in Atlanta after a testing crash in South Carolina. Having spoken to Joey after that race in Atlanta, I can tell you it wasn't miraculous. It was a feat of human will. To talk about it, here is Mr. Joey Gladstone. Joey, how you doing, man? I'm good, Brian. How are you? I'm really good, man, and I uh, wanted to catch up with you since uh, we had some time to talk on Sunday evening after the race in the pits at Atlanta Dragway, and I really want to give people a sense into the kind of effort that went into getting you back at the racetrack. Obviously, you had a very tough day in testing in South Carolina. We thought you were going to be gone for months, and lo and behold, there you were. So not to dwell on the negative of, of the, the incident itself, but, man, let's just talk a little bit about the injuries you sustained immediately following that crash what what actually happened to you so the uh the physical injuries that i had were um obviously uh, a lot of a lot of road rash um you know from falling at over 200 you know um, leather can only do so much uh you know i wish i was i wish i was wearing some thicker leather but you know hindsight's 2020 but uh from the initial impact it all it all happened on my right side the initial impact um i i broke my collarbone I broke four ribs, uh, broke my shoulder blade, and bruised my lungs, all on the right side. Um, but uh, it was the 
the heart that wasn't really the hardest part. The hardest part was definitely the the skin injuries that I had. Which, now, the, um, yeah, you did show me photos of those, which I will never ever be able to unsee. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm still dealing with it today, man. I um, I've got you know it's it's tw- twice a day. I gotta I gotta you know re- redress the wounds the wounds that I still have and clean them and and get them back redressed and it's it's definitely the uh the worst part of the the whole process so far is the skin the, the bones the bones weren't you know they were nothing compared to this stuff so uh, i i think one of the most incredible parts of this story and one that is going to strike people as kind of as amazed as not only we were but nhra officials was the fact that yeah we saw your name pop up on an entry list for atlanta and I think maybe many others are thinking, okay, well, that's Joey's name on there, but somebody else will be on that motorcycle. And then you showed up at the racetrack, and it wasn't just me that was surprised. It was a lot of people that were surprised. And before any trade let you get on that motorcycle, you actually got put through kind of a physical exam. Right, right. So um, I, I kind of I I had a feeling it was going to happen because I, uh, I talked to um, – I talked to some guys from National Dragster, um, oh, McKenna. I talked to Kevin McKenna, um, and he said that um, that when Hagen broke his collarbone, they put him through like some paces to get back in the funny car. So I was like, oh, man, I wonder if they're going to do that to me. But uh, I, I guess I kind of flew under the radar a little bit because I, um, <laughs> like, I, I, I don't think, like you said, I don't think really people really took it seriously that I, you know, they maybe they thought I was entered beforehand and, and yes. just kind of stayed on the entry list and didn't withdraw yet. But, um, but yeah, then uh, – I think we got there. It was a two-day race, so we were setting up on Friday, and um, and the track doctor, which I didn't even know that we had, the HRA had its own doctor until that day. Um, he was like, <laughs> uh, my crew guy was like, "Hey, he's he's looking for you." It's like, uh oh, here we go. So um, so we we went to my motorhome and and he put me through through my. I had to explain to him like you know I how much physical therapy and and you know cryotherapy and stuff that I've been doing to try and get ready for the race. Because, um, like, a few days before that, you know, I still wasn't even sure if I could do it, but I was going day by day. And, um, but anyway, he, um, he put me through some paces and, and checked my grip strength and stuff. And I, I, I was honest with him. I told him, you know, what hurt and what didn't hurt. And, um, you know, he was, he actually gave my ribs a squeeze and told me that, you know, if that, if, if I was able to go through that, then I'd probably be all right. So, yeah. He, uh, he cleared me. And Dr. And, Surface, just to clarify, Dr. Surface, who is the, you know, the NHRA's chief uh, medical guy, is actually an orthopedic surgeon. So if there's one thing this guy knows about, it's bones and bone structure. So you were getting the – you definitely got the full workup from him. Oh, yeah. And he's a, he's a big guy. Like, he's yeah. – I mean, I know I'm not I'm not a very big guy, but he's actually, like, physically a big guy. And he, when he when he gave my ribs a squeeze, he was like um, – he's like, how's that feel? And I was kind of, like, put a tough face on. I mean, it hurt a little bit, but – it, um, he was like, well, that didn't, you know, put you on your butt. So, you know, he was kind of expecting that to, to, to get me, you know, but, um, he, and then he was, and it was, it was great. You know, the, the first person I talked to after making my first run, um, was, was him. And he was right down there waiting. He wanted to see my look, the look on my face when I got my helmet off and, you know, to make sure that I wasn't in physical pain and stuff. And, and he was just, he was overwhelmed, you know, with joy that I was able to do it and stuff like that. So it was, 
it's a, overall, it was a pretty cool experience, you know, working with the doctors and them actually caring about me. You know? Yeah, and, and the, the cool thing about Dr. Service is as much as he is the doctor at the racetrack, he's been a racer, he's worked on teams his whole life, and he really does love the sport. So I, I think it's kind of interesting. It's He's not just a guy that's there because he's got an MD after his name. He's there because he, he really does love drag racing and I think has a unique understanding of the of the competitors and, and people like you to have this, this will to compete. Um, yeah. My next question for you is, and actually beyond the beyond guys like me who were like, "There's no way this guy's going to do this." A lot of your fellow racers were like, "Yeah, he's going to try it, but this is never going to work." Well, then you tried it and it worked. So I guess I want to talk to you about when you made those initial passes, and then over the course of the weekend, what were the muscle groups that were the most sore afterwards? Were there parts of your body you're using that? You're like, oh, I actually used this muscle. I hadn't felt this before. I mean, what did you learn about yourself on that bike going through the pain? Well, I definitely, um, I learned, I learned what muscle groups. I, I kind of had an, an initial understanding of like what muscle groups I used. Um, but you're never really sore after after making passes on a pro stock bike if you do it right. So you're not, you know, after a, after a solid workout in the gym, you you realize real quick what muscles you use because you're sore. Those muscles are sore. But um, I kind of had an idea, like a vague idea of what muscles I would use, like core muscles and, and things like that, neck muscles, um, you know, hip muscles, things like that. But uh, I was – so throughout the week, I'd be, I, I was going through, you know, some runs. I'd, I'd hop up into the top of the trailer to see if I could actually, you know, physically do it, if I could twist the throttle, if I could, you know, lunge forward, things like that. And uh, by the time that the race came around, I was like, all right, you know what, I, I, I think I can do this. But um, the one thing that did take me for surprise, so when you do practice runs on a motorcycle, unless somebody's holding the bike up for you, you can't go into your full tuck because, you know, you got to have something to hold you up. Yeah. So um, when I when muscle memory takes over in about second, third gear, when we most of us go up into our full tuck, you know, meaning slide up onto the back seat and tuck your knees in and stretch out, um, when I did that, Luckily, it was in the middle of a gear because if it was at a gear change, I probably would have missed the gear because it, it hurt pretty good. Like it stretch, it just stretched me out, you know, stretched out my shoulder, which, um, you know, was a little uncomfortable. But after that, I knew what to expect. So if you actually, if you notice, there's a finish line picture of the really close race that that Matt and I had. Yes. Um, if you if you look at the finish line picture, we're both in our tuck, but my my butt is not all the way up against my back hump because that was as far back as I could go at that point in time. Um, now, now two weeks later, now I'm, I, you know, I'll be fine. I'll be able to go all the way back, but, um, going down the racetrack, I, I wasn't trying to push myself too far back onto that hump to put myself in any discomfort, you know? Yeah, that's wild. And that's a, and it's, I was really interested in, in that answer because it's like, like you said, I mean, until you're, when you're in, as you always maintain yourself in, in really nice peak physical condition, your body's just used to, you know, running down the racetrack but when you have a situation where you're healing and you're going to feel some things that you wouldn't normally feel i'm interested in that because you've made so many runs over the course of your career on different motorcycles this is probably a little bit more um in a a tough way a little bit more enlightening than (laughs) than runs you'd made in the past for sure for sure i definitely i learned a lot about i learned a lot about um you know uh pro stock um you know like you said through through feeling all those different things that i haven't felt before i learned a lot about riding them and i learned it was really cool. So I learned what the human body's capable of, um, you know, as far as the recovery stuff, I really took my, in the past when I would injure myself, I wouldn't really take recovery that seriously or physical therapy that seriously, but it worked wonders in this case. And, um, you know, my wife's a big part of it. She, you know, through my wound care and stuff like that was able to help me find a way to get back on in my leathers and stuff. And, 
I, you know, it, was, it was definitely an eye-opening race for me and a very, very rewarding for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, I always look at, I look at our sport and it doesn't matter what category we're talking about. We could be talking about pro stock motorcycle, top fuel, pro mod, it doesn't matter. And I really do feel like there are almost two mental levels of competitors. We have a lot of competitors that drag racing is like the ultimate I don't want to call it recreation, but it's their ultimate release. It's their ultimate escape. They're doing something that they have worked their whole life to be able to afford to do. And then we have guys like you that fall into a different category. And I I can say that officially now, not that I ever doubted it, but the, the force of will that you illustrated to come to this race and compete says to me, this is, this is something that you almost can't live without doing. So I want to talk about that now, because that's the most interesting part of the story. The fact that, you didn't sit back and go, yeah, I'll see you in four or five races. You were hell bent on not missing anything. Yeah, it's man, it's. It, 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 I, I felt that right, right after the right after the crash, I felt just you know, I was really, really, I was upset. I was you know, most mostly not upset because I was injured. I knew I, I, I healed, but I was, I was upset because I've I've got a really, I've got a really good situation this year with the bikes that we have and the, the team that we have. And the uh, and the sponsors that we have that, you know, I was like, man, like this is going to be such a waste if I, if if I if I can't get out there for like you said, like four or five races, and now I'm now I'm you know, a hundred or two hundred points out of the top ten, not even just out of the top five or something. Now I can't make the countdown this, that, and third. So that's when I set my goals on on getting back as soon as possible, no matter what I had to do. And and like you said, it's it's, it's man, this is what I do. Like I, I can't I can't just sit back and act like it doesn't you know bother me i just you know i, I gotta get back out there i gotta prove to myself that i can do it and and um also i don't want to look i don't want to i didn't want to look foolish by like you know i'm out there doing doing stuff on other other motorcycles that jeopardize my pro stock career and that i already felt foolish enough for that but you know i got over that pretty quick but but then i also on the flip side of that i didn't if i went out there too early which 99% of the people thought I was. Um, <laughs> if I went out there too early and I and I fell off the back of the thing, then I'd really look like a, a dipshit, you know. Yeah. But and that's so that was honestly that was the biggest thing on my mind was I did not want to look like an ass. Um, I wanted to prove myself, but I didn't want to look like an ass. Um, like meaning like fall off the thing again. Yeah. No. And you know? and that's and that's the great. Um, you know, I think that's the the cool great risk that any competitor in any sport takes when they know they're not 100 percent, but they're going to go out there and give it a shot anyway and not only did you give it a shot i mean you had an incredibly competitive motorcycle um let's talk and we can transition this away from uh from you healing like wolverine and more to talk about the the program (laughs) as it's continuing to evolve because we've seen these motorcycles get incrementally better and better and we saw what you were capable of doing in atlanta as well as what corey has been capable of doing and it really does seem like you you've made these nice Nice strides race to race you have to be somewhat happy with that I'm, I'm very happy with it very very motivating we're very very pleased with with the uh with the suzuki's with the four valve suzuki's that we got um and they're you know they're a lot easier to maintain in between races and they're a lot more fun to race you know on race day so we're, we're really pleased with it and to go i mean we've gone you know career best numbers you know, every time we've gone out, you know, that, that's, that 78 was the best, best I've ever ran on a, on a pro stock motorcycle. 78 was zero. And, um, and to do it in, in, in Atlanta where the best I've ever been was like an 86 before that. So it, it's, you know, we're very, very pleased with it. And, um, I can't say enough about the guys, what the, the product advance and gave us. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're top notch. 
Yeah, and the and the performance of uh, obviously the motorcycles you're on. We have the motorcycle that Angel's on. We have other people with the uh, with the parts and pieces that are developing kind of their own their own programs as well. And you know, I've said it before. I'll say it again. That there really isn't a more interesting class right now than pro stock motorcycle. We have basically three different engine combinations uh, out there that are moving along now. Actually, I guess technically four if we want to count the VT. Uh, the VT engine that's come out of the Vance and Hines ca- uh, camp now with Eddie and Andrew on top of them. And, you know, from the perspective of a competitor, and obviously you're a guy that's on a pretty quick motorcycle, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of disparity amongst amongst teams that I would consider the full-time hardcore teams. Performance-wise, everybody seems to be right about where they need to be. I think I think the parity's perfect right now. Um, you got, you know, you got a bunch of fast, uh, you know, regular Buell V-Twins out there. You got Eddie and Andrew coming back out, and they're they're not taking over the world yet, so nobody can really complain about them yet. Um, and, but they're right there and competitive and able to go rounds. And then and then the the new product, the new Suzuki product that they're providing, that shows that you know the Suzuki's, even though you know that that the platform, similar platforms, been out for a long time, it's still very competitive. Um, you know, it's the parity I, I think is is perfect right now. And anybody who says otherwise is just crying. You know, um, I cry, I cry, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's you know when when everybody's, I mean shoot the top two the top me and Scotty were one thou apart in yeah, qualifying and, exactly, and, and then um you know and then uh, like the round with me and Matt we went uh, eighty one with a two to an eighty one with a three I mean it's it's good racing it can't get no better than that you know. No, it's great, man. And uh, this weekend's going to be great. Uh, four wide nationals, and I guess uh, it's the standard question we ask every single racer. Just give me your generalized opinion on on the four wide. Is it is it? Are you happy that this is the second and last one of the year, or what? Oh, I didn't know it was the last one of the year. <laughs> Only two of them. This is it. Yeah, <laughs> man. Four wide. I don't mind four wide, yeah. man. It just adds another element of you know people who don't like it are are normally the ones that can't wrap their head around it. They yeah. don't see that there's actually an advantage to it because. If you're if you're if you know the rules of four wide and you can play it to your advantage, then you know if you actually start like mental timers in your head when when you know the first first person stages, then you know you could actually really mess some people up and and you could be one of the lower qualified guys and and and, and move move on up you know throughout eliminations throughout the day. So I like it because it's sometimes you get bit by it, but a lot of times you you know you end up on the right side of it. You know it's. I think it's cool. I like it. I'm excited for it. Both Corey and I are excited for it. I think what's cool is everybody I've talked to about this, especially guys in Pro Mod and and guys like you that have ridden all these different motorcycles, anybody who has any sort of past in, like, grudge racing loves it. Because there, yeah. it, there is the you know because obviously in that in that realm whether you're in a car or a motorcycle it's it, there's so much mental game there and and this this comes into that same kind of zone. Absolutely, absolutely, I agree. And uh, I mean, I wouldn't want to race four wide. I wouldn't want all the whole NHRA circuit. Oh, no, no, no. I like the, yeah. the, I like the traditional, yeah. you know, heads up racing, but to, to, to shake it up every once in a while, I think it's a lot of fun. It really, I, it's fun for me. I can't speak for, for all the racers, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm for it. Hey, me too. And I'm a paid spectator. So my opinion counts. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, Hey man, I appreciate you taking the time and talking us through some of this stuff. It's been a uh, wild, I don't even say a couple of months. It's more like been a wild couple of weeks, but uh, certainly glad to hear on the mend was great to see your wife and your baby at the race on, uh, on Sunday evening in Atlanta and certainly wishing you the best of luck this weekend at uh, Z max dragway. Yes, sir. You're going to be there, right? Oh, I'll be there. There I'll be. Sure. I'll be there, staring awesome. at you, staring at you through the window from the tower. I'll wave. Nice. Maybe I'll come up and visit. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. Yeah, man. I'll see you in a couple of days. You bet. And there you have it: the grit and determination of Joey Gladstone on full display. Kind of a 
a short-term grit and determination, and we talked about Krista Baldwin's grit and determination over the long term to work her way up into the world of NHRA Camping World Top Fuel Drag Racing. Two great competitors and young competitors at a high-level, professional level in the sport of NHRA Drag Racing. Yes, this weekend it is the NGK Spark Plugs Four Wide Nationals at ZMAX Dragway. Tickets for Saturday have been sold out in advance already. Friday and Sunday tickets are in short supply, so if you're going to come see us, get those tickets online and go to NHRA.com and buy your tickets want to reinforce the fact that we will be racing in epic new hampshire this year there's some questions about that race it is 100 locked in and will be happening june 11th through the 13th and if you're a new england or east coast drag racing fan now's your time to go to nhra.com and score those tickets or you can go to newenglanddragway.com to find out how to order them through the racetrack it's going to be a great stretch of races coming up back to back charlotte houston get a week or two off and then we go to epping new hampshire going to be a whole lot of fun thanks for listening to this episode of the nhra insider please tune in this weekend on fs1 to catch all the qualifying action two qualifying shows on saturday and elimination coverage at 6 p.m following the nascar race at dover the monster mile on sunday evening you can sit down your couch catch the stock car race and then hang in there for nhra camping world drag racing action four wide for the last time in 2021 i'm brian loans and thanks as always for listening to the nhra insider